0: This episode of Book Boba is brought to you by First Republic Bank. The world is changing, and your needs are evolving. As your focus turns to what matters most to you and your community, First Republic remains committed to offering personalized financial solutions that fit your needs. From day one, you'll be connected with the dedicated banker who will serve as your primary point of contact throughout your relationship with the bank. They'll be there to listen to you, understand your values, and meet you on your financial journey. Your banker can offer solutions that support your goals at any stage. From setting up a personal checking account, to refinancing household debt, to buying a first home. As your needs evolve, you can call or email your banker at any time for the support you need. Because First Republic believes what matters to you matters most. Learn more at firstrepublic.com. That's firstrepublic.com. Member FDIC. Equal housing lender. You're
1: listening to...
2: Whoa! La cara
0: Hey, you're listening to Books and Boba, a book club and podcast featuring books by Asian and Asian-American authors. My name is Marvin Yue, and it's time for another one of our Books and Boba author interviews. For this episode, we're talking to Diana Ma, the author of Heirs Apparently, um, that's out in bookstores now. Heirs Apparently is a YA rom-com about Gemma Huang, an aspiring actress and College Dropout, who takes a trip to Beijing after she books a leading role in a new adaptation of David Henry Huang's M. Butterfly. When she gets there, she finds out she's a dead ringer for one of China's most popular socialites. And what follows is a summer of Gemma reconnecting with her culture and heritage, as well as finding out more about the family history that her parents have been keeping from her. Rira and I had a great chat with Diana. Uh, We talked to her about her book, about her journey as an author, and also about the dreaded question, where are you really from? So yeah, uh, please enjoy our interview with Diana Ma. And we're here with Diana Ma, the author of Eris Apparently, the first uh, novel of the Daughters of the Dynasty series. Hey, Diana, congratulations on your debut. Um, your book just came out, I guess, this past December 3rd, right? Yeah.
2: Yes. It's December 1st, actually. <laughs> oh,
1: 1st. OK. Yeah.
2: Thank you well, so much.
0: Yeah. Hopefully you're having a good uh, book launch in this age of COVID. Uh, anything <laughs> interesting happened to you? this past week
2: yeah i i was not expecting my book launch to look like this but having never had one before i didn't know what to expect but it's been actually kind of cool and that i'm able to do things that i wouldn't have been able to do otherwise because everything is virtual um i was just telling rira that i was coming from a presentation at a school in the Bronx where I got to talk to high schoolers and educators, and um, I wouldn't have normally been able to just drop everything and fly to New York.
1: Yeah, I mean, like book tours, you're usually uh, flying all over the country and visiting bookstores everywhere, and of course we can't do that now, but uh, it's nice that virtual events have made it possible for easier – Easier stops, I guess, across yes. the country. Yes. Um, so this is a question that pops up a lot in your novel, um, as, as well as for Asians in real life. Where are you from?
2: <laughs> I am from a suburb of Seattle uh, called Renton. And I was born in Tacoma, Washington. So I'm one of the few Washingtonians. And um, my parents, I'm a daughter of immigrants, and my parents have had um, an interesting kind of history. They were both born in China and um, immigrated with their families to Taiwan. And that's actually where I spent my summers growing up was Taiwan, right so like Gemma, even though we've always identified as Chinese and Chinese and specifically identify as Chinese American, um, like Gemma, I had never been to China until I was a teenager. So um, so we share that.
0: It's interesting too, because um Rira mentioned that, you know, where are you from is a big thing that is mentioned in your book and it's Mm -hmm. something that us as asian americans we're used to hearing because people want to know what type of asian are you right Right. um but it's also something you hear a lot as an overseas chinese person in like the mainland or or in asia is where are you from because you're obviously not from here your accent is weird you don't speak chinese well like where are you from
2: Right. (laughs) right I oh Yes. I always take that, con- that question in context. So it depends. If it's someone asking me like genuinely curious about um, who I am, what my history is, where I'm from, getting to know me, that's one thing. But oftentimes I get that question. And it's really clear I'm getting that question um, from a white person usually. <laughs> and they just want a shorthand of how to categorize me. And I could tell they're asking that. Question, so they can just pinpoint. And if I say Chinese, they will think they know everything there is to know about. <laughs> and that's the, the kind of, that's when that question bothers me, but there's a scene where Gemma talks about, she's getting to know her um, roommates and one of her roommates is white. And, um, and her roommate, the white roommate asks her, where are you from? And Gemma realizes um, very quickly, that this is she's able to make that connection. That um, this this friend, this new friend, is just asking her to get to know her. It's not that I'm just looking for a shorthand to know everything about you, and um, and I don't need to know anything else. But she also contrasts it with an experience where she gets that, "Where are you really from?" <laughs> when she answers. Um, she answers Chicago. And this woman, a white woman that she just meets, that she's interviewing for roommates, says, no, 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 where are you really from? As if you can't be from anywhere. And the- then they
1: ask you, where are your
2: parents from? Right. As if it's like a way to
1: circumvent <laughs> that uh, that awkward question. Right.
0: <laughs> oh. Yeah,
1: But but the question of like, where do you come from? I, I mean, we mentioned it. We get that question a lot from even Asians when we go overseas. Right. And I think that's like a really important question because, you know, a lot of like Asian countries, like knowing where your parents' hometown mm-hmm. is, for example, because it's, it's two degrees of separation in whatever Asian country you live in. Right. So uh, by knowing where your family comes from, Uh, You're able to get history, you're able to get Mm -hmm. um, what kind of people they are and like what kind of um, background that they grew up in. But with Gemma, her parents never tells her anything about her family Mm -hmm. and tells and forbids her from ever going to Beijing, ever going to China and even though most of our Asian American parents, they're not hiding a revolutionary secret <laughs> from us, uh, most right. of the time, Asian immigrant families love secrets, but usually they're not like huge, life-changing secrets. Right. So I think it's really common for a lot of us, a lot of uh, children of Asian immigrants to not know our family history. Mm-hmm. And um and it's really isolating and you can tell from like Gemma's character that she has this longing to get to know her family and to know even if she has family in Beijing because she doesn't know. So uh, my question is, I mean, you talked a little bit about like your parents and being a a child of immigrants. Uh, How was your experience uh, learning about your family history and um, just, you know, getting in touch with, Um, your roots, I guess, for this book?
2: What a great question. Um, So I was very concerned about my parents reading this book.
1: Of course.
2: And, (laughs) And I was worried that I would not that I think there's any one authentic essential way of being Asian or of being Chinese but I was worried about getting it wrong whatever that meant um, of being because when I was growing up the worst um, kind of insult that I could get was oh you're so American <laughs> and it was just like that sort of sad disappointment of look at how much she's assimilated. (laughs) And so I didn't want to write a book that would be this, um, completely assimilated American. I wanted to make sure that I captured the nuance and complexity of Chinese culture, Chinese history, of um, and I was very aware also of how China is seen, how China is seen by Americans as authoritarian government. Um, and when people talk about China's traditional culture, it's uh, kind of code for backwards and sexist and not very progressive. And that's not the China I wanted to portray because the truth, as it always is, is more complicated. So, um, so my family doesn't really talk about the history of China or the culture, which is kind of funny because i I've always known that my father um, is uh, study political science, much like, uh, Gemma's father does although they're very different people my father is <laughs> nothing like the father in Eris apparently but um I was so when this book came out my mother read it and loved it and my father was just bursting with pride which I was so worried about and he um came over and this is pandemic time. So he put a mask on and came over and he handed me this very, this um, hand bound uh, book. It was very yellowed. It it turned out it was his graduate dissertation. Oh, wow. And it was on (laughs) Chinese history and culture. And I thought, so all that research I did. Was unnecessary. He had it the entire time. Had this this whole time. (laughs) And, um, but I was scared to ask him because I was scared to tell him I was writing a book about, um, a Chinese American who was going to China that a novel set in China because I was afraid, I guess I was afraid that they would be afraid (laughs) that I would get it wrong. Um, Yeah. yeah,
0: that's amazing. Yeah. I mean, talking to our parents about our backgrounds is, I think, I don't want to generalize, but is a shared, um, anxiety. Yeah. Amongst Asian Americans. (laughs) I know, um, I didn't really start talking to my parents seriously about that stuff until I was an adult really. Mm -hmm. Um, because I think as children growing up in the States, you know, we tend to distance ourselves a little bit from our parents, just Mm -hmm. from just being a teen. I mean, um, that's standard YA fair, right? Um, like, speaking of your parents, um, something that we like to ask our um, authors is, since it is a podcast for Asian, Asian American authors, um, mm. how did you get into writing and how did you decide to pursue it as a career? And, I mean, were your parents okay with it?
2: it's <laughs> <laughs> a great question. Um, I have taken a long, 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 long break from <laughs> writing. so. Um, I, I wanted to be a writer ever since I was little, ever since I realized that that was a thing, that uh, there were people who wrote the books I read and they were called authors and they actually got paid for doing this, for creating these magical worlds. Um, so I went to an MFA program and... Um, Promptly got my love of writing beaten out of me. Oh no! <laughs> I know it was it was a long time ago, but um, it, YA books, young adult books, weren't really a thing that had literary merit that you could get a degree in. So there was no way I could bring a young adult um, story into a writer's workshop. It didn't even occur to me, um, really. And when I did bring these sort of belabored, I'll just say they were terrible, (laughs) (laughs) terrible um, stories into this writer workshop. They were pretentious. They were trying to be literary. But the feedback that I would get from pretty much an all-white workshop was just casual suggestions like what if you made your main character white? Why does oh. this character have to be Asian? Barf. And I was kind of <laughs> like, what? <laughs> why does the character have to be white? Why does that question get asked? But it was just, there was no awareness that that question might even be offensive. That it, it, that I was put on the spot and had to justify why I wanted to write a character who shared my racial identity. Um, so I guess I thought I wasn't cut out to be a writer. And um I took my degree and did one of the only few things that I thought I could do with it, which was become a teacher. Uh, so I became an English teacher at a community college and uh, thankfully love it. Um, and then had kids and it wasn't until uh 2017 right after the inauguration Mm -hmm. when a friend of mine said to me you know i think that this is going to be a time of cultural resistance and i am looking forward to seeing the art and the literature that comes out of this time this very scary time um And then I remembered I used to be a writer (laughs) once upon a time. And I thought I could be one of those authors who is writing resistance. And when I thought about the kind of writing I wanted to do, it was immediately going to be young adult. There wasn't a question. Those were the books that spoke to me. These were the books about young people going out and changing the world. And that's what I wanted to do.
0: It sounds like the timing hit right too because 2017 2018 was about the time when crazy rich asians came out and there was a Mm -hmm. big surge of demand for asian stories um finally um did you see a difference between the feedback that you got back when you started and, and the feedback you got now
2: oh yeah absolutely because there's, um, a, there's
1: a point of reference for people now. Right. White people have seen Crazy Rich Asians <laughs> I and know. have read the books. Um, it's really funny because I worked at uh, one of Kevin Kwan's book signings.
2: Oh, really? Right. And you would
1: not believe how many white people there
2: were. <laughs> so, I would believe it. <laughs> so it makes sense that the feedback right. would be different. And more importantly, it made money, right? <laughs> so... So people were willing to um, publish a book that was an Asian American book. Yeah. I heard that
1: you were a mentee for We Need Diverse Books. So um,
2: was that with Eris, apparently, or was that a different manuscript? It was a different manuscript. um, But my We Need Diverse Books experience is really what got my career going I um I had been in the query trenches looking for agent representation for I think about a year um and had racked up hundreds of rejections I had gotten close but it just it it, I just wasn't getting anywhere so um so when I saw a notice at the, on the We Need Diverse Books website that they were offering a mentorship program, I was ecstatic, but I also thought it was a long shot because I was sure that there would be, there would be lots of people applying. Um, and I was beyond thrilled to have gotten the mentorship and to work with Swathi Avashti, who was amazing. She gave me so much advice but she she also just we just bonded over the lack of asian representation um in young adult and also the the very flat representation that was out there um and she gave me invaluable feedback it was like getting to do my mfa all over again um and when i went back with that book um I just started getting the offers. And so once I got my agent, um, she actually connected me with Abrams, who was uh, looking There, there was, an, my editor was looking for a Chinese American author to write a, um, an epic and romantic series. So she was actually looking for me, which was, I was like, What? <laughs> when did when did that become a thing as you, you were saying right with crazy rotations as a frame of reference but it wasn't even i wasn't even like saying please please take my book it was will you write this book um and the book that i got the mentorship with it's still it's still on submission um it is i i love that book so much um it is a speculative near dystopian. Oh, so the complete
1: novel. opposite of it's a rom com right. contemporary novel.
2: <laughs> and uh, apparently, no one wants to read um, futuristic <laughs> near dystopian novels right now. I can't imagine why, but no. Um, so that that's still. I still have high hopes for that one, but um, in the meantime, there's as you said, sort of the opposite, this lighthearted rom-com.
0: Yeah. Um I was interested to see this Asian take on like the Hidden Princess um trope, mm-hmm. which is usually, you know, um based around like European monarchy. Um, right. What was your inspiration for for the story? Like where did the story come from?
2: Well, Wu Zetian, um, who is the only female regent in Chinese history, uh, was my inspiration, and and like all rulers of dynasties, I had to sort of struggle in that I w- was in really intrigued by royalty and the empire but the way my values and politics are i'm like no imperialism bad so that was navigating my innate um fascination with dynasty empires and the um the troublesome very feudalistic kind of society that that spawned Um, and so I was trying to navigate that. And actually, I think it will be even more apparent in the next book. But I was trying to navigate that and um, saying that the problem with Wu Zetian and how she's been represented in, the, um, in media is not that she is, um, is not that her more unsavory um, <laughs> <laughs> characteristics are portrayed but that she's never really fully represented i feel as a nuanced character she's either she fits into that um a very western gaze of um either this it's western but it's also patriarchal um of scheming asian woman who's out for power (laughs) or she's represented as this is hapless. I just stumbled onto this throne and look at me. Um, where I think the truth was that she was a very intelligent, um, probably very cunning, um, but had some strong um, ambition, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but not just for herself, but in terms of women and women's art. And I just thought her story was fascinating um, and so she was the inspiration for for that storyline in hes apparently
1: um, speaking of um, like powerful Asian women who you know are new nu- nuanced people nuanced characters uh, can you talk more about how you shaped Gemma like how you Cause she's an up and coming actress. Like how did you decide to make her an actress and go on this wild adventure to Beijing to film a movie? Um I also want to talk sto- about the
0: movie too, because Yeah, the movie storyline <laughs>
2: is. <laughs> um well when I first started writing Gemma's character, I was sure I was writing a character who was nothing at all like me. Um, as you said. An becoming actress. I am not an actress. I have had zero roles. Um, but the more I started writing her story, the more I was just like pulling from my own lived experiences. And then um, I finished the book. In fact, one of the things my mother said to me was that she saw so much of me in Gemma. And she was saying i'll be vague so i don't have any spoilers but she was saying at the end when you stood up for yourself and i said no not me Gemma, the character <laughs> the character i wrote and she's like yeah 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 but it was clear that she saw my mother saw me in Gemma's character um which was interesting because i had not set out to write a character like me um and then the movie the reason i wanted her to be an actress i um i i obsessively read articles that come up about um asian actors and actresses and directors and screenwriters in hollywood so um so it was just i love the opportunity of writing uh and from an actress's point of view it was you, you brought up Crazy Rich Asians. Um, several times, there, actually... there's a
1: lot of stories that um, you know. I could see the inspiration for it, but I'll I'll let you talk a bit more about it. Um, okay. I know Michelle Yeoh. That was specifically mentioned yes. in your book.
2: Yes, um, and it was her story of what she said when she first got the um, when she was first offered the role of Eleanor Young. And um, I was surprised to hear that she initially turned down the role and she said, no, I'm, I'm actually not going to do this unless the character becomes more sympathetic, more fully realized um, and a real person with real hopes and dreams and is not so much of that overbearing tiger mom and because she's Michelle Ya, she got that change. Right? Everyone said, yep, let's do we're gonna do that. Um I and, mean, after all, you're not gonna say no to Michelle Ya, I like, know, right? <laughs> Can you imagine? But then I thought, well, what if you're 18 and you're Asian and you're just starting out and this is your big break and you get a role that makes your gut kind of cramp, what do you do? You say yes, right? You accept the role. And then how do you navigate that to make the, that role um, a more authentic and fuller representation? So that's a lot of where Gemma came from.
0: So how much fun did you have um, butchering the David Henry Huang play M. Butterfly for your um, movie adaptation?
2: I didn't butcher. Yeah, I did. (laughs) You're right. (laughs) So much fun. Um, I actually, I've had a complete fascination with M. Butterfly for many years. In fact, I taught the play in a course on Uh, race, gender, race and gender and sexuality and representation (laughs) in media. Um, And I always, I find it so interesting what he did with this play, that he was, that he used the gender reversals and um, ideas about sexuality and gender and race and that um, intersection to kind of upend Western assumptions (laughs) of Asian culture as innately submissive. And I thought that's fantastic. And then, um, but one of the things that uh, I've struggled with is that there aren't really any fully realized Asian female characters in that play. Mm -hmm. If you, not to give too much away, but, um, and so there is a moment when Gemma, so she auditions for the role of a remake of M. Butterfly and she gets the phone call from her agent and her agent says, guess what? You got the lead role in the remake of M. Butterfly. In my book, I call the movie Butterfly in the film Butterfly. And Gemma says, wait, what? There are no (laughs) lead female characters in the book. Who am I supposed to play? And then she gets the script and all of her fears are realized of, um, this is a script written by a white man. It's directed, one of the directors is a white man. And, um, And like everything she has, worried about portrayals of Asian women and Asian men um, in stereotypical ways is realized as soon as she gets the script and she takes the role anyway. (laughs) So um, I had, I had to create in my head a whole new movie, a whole, this is kind of like a rom-com in a (laughs) (laughs) rom-com.
0: Yeah. It's, It's like that saying, it's put yourself in the shoes of a mediocre white man. And write the script you think he would write?
2: Yes! That's exactly
1: what I did. I feel like that's fun, though. Because, um, like, I don't know, like, writing a good movie, a good play, sounds hard. But Mm -hmm. writing, like, the worst possible, like, stereotypical movie, I don't know. It just just sounds so fun. Because, like, just thinking about all of the, like, the worst possible scenarios, like, that sounds so awkward and just like so fun for a writer to create, you know? It
2: was so much fun. Um especially since when I watch a movie, you know that moment you have when you're you're watching a movie and you're actually enjoying it and you're into it and then there's that sort of like internal screech and a stereotypical Asian character appears on the screen or when just something that goes, Oh, why did you have to ruin this for me? I can't even just watch a rom-com without having that moment. So, um, so there's unfortunately a lot to draw upon for this mythical script.
1: I like that you mentioned, um, like in the book, like Gemma's like, I want to play all of the roles. I want to play uh someone who's in a heist, like Aquafina in Ocean Eight, like um her wanting to be in a dramatic film, also like played by Aquafina in the farewell. Yeah. Um, and and she also mentions like always be my maybe. And when I was reading your book, I was like, Wow, these references are so recent, you know, like yeah. I was just like, I wonder when uh, Diana started writing uh, the book, like, was she writing it when Asian representation in film, like, was it, like, was it happening while she was writing it or has it already happened? And she had to, like, go back and edit it, so. It was
2: happening. It was happening, it was so it happening. was perfect timing for you. Yeah, it was perfect timing for me. Um, so I it was... um I started writing it October of last year, so it was it went fast. Um, so October two thousand nineteen. Wow. In fact, there were things, um, there were movies I couldn't cram in. It was already to print, and I was like, "Oh, the half of it—that's an amazing movie." <laughs> oh well.
0: <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, this weekend we have, like, two Hallmark movies or Lifetime movies. I can't tell the two apart. They're the same in my brain. They're the my same. Brain. Pretty much. <laughs> but, like, yeah, we have, like, Lifetime movies starring Asian Americans. It's, uh, what a time to live in when we have, like, when we, when even the B movies are, like, <laughs> casting Asian Americans.
2: Yes. <laughs>
1: I liked, uh, one of the quotes that you, uh, wrote is one of the characters says it takes a man to play the perfect Asian woman convincingly because she's not real, the object of male fantasy. And in a later quote, it says we are either exotically cute or exotically glam in in terms of like Asian women. And I thought that was like really interesting in relation to, uh, M. Butterfly, the, the play, because at the end of the play, um... There is a realization that the main character, uh, has loved the idea of the butterfly. And, um, I just thought thought that, thought, thought that was like so poignant. And I'm just like wondering if like the Madden butterfly part came first and then you weaved in like the, uh, gender and sexuality play and like the stereotypical Asian American, um, representation was that like after you made like the Madam Butterfly adaptation in your book?
2: Yes. So, I had to start with the um the it's a it was kind of complicated because it's a remake of a of remake of a remake of a remake, right? There's like four layers. Yeah. <laughs> four <laughs> adaptations <laughs>
1: of Madam Butterfly. Right.
2: So, it's um yeah. So, it was a little
0: Madam Butterfly to M Butterfly to Butterfly, so you just keep keep yes. making the madam disappear as you exactly. go I along. Right? Making
2: it shorter and shorter and <laughs> shorter. <laughs> but one of the things, yeah, that line was in reaction to um, a line that the character Song Li Ling in M Butterfly says. And um, what's so interesting, I didn't get the whole context of it in. The, in the scene that I wrote um, because it was getting long and very complicated. But the context I think is really interesting because um, Song Li Ling is presenting as a woman, but, and I read the play pretty carefully and it's, and it does not seem like the character ever um, ever feels that he is anything but a man portraying a woman. So I just gave away the big reveal. It's okay. This play is from 1988. <laughs> right, if you have not right, read exactly. it by <laughs> now. <laughs> yeah, good point. Um, and I give it away in the book anyway. So, um, but it seems, so this is an 88. So this is a time of different gender politics. And um, gender identity was not discussed as much as it is now. And so it does not seem to me that this character is gender non-binary or trans. It seems to me that this is a cisgender man, an actor portraying a woman. Um, So in that context, um, Song Ling, the character Song is um, speaking when he says that line, um, it takes a man to play the ideal woman because only a man knows um, the male fantasy. Um, he's actually speaking to a woman. Um, Comrade Chin, I think is her name, a character, a minor character. So I've always had a little uneasiness with that line because I think as an Asian woman, I I, think I know exactly how, men especially white men see me it is very uh very obvious they do not hide it very well no (laughs) no and so I had so much fun with that scene because Gemma sees right through Jake she knows exactly what he's thinking and it was and she doesn't have to be a man playing a woman to know and understand that male desire that very limiting male desire
1: I like the fact that it wasn't just uh, like the the male gaze through um, like the Asian-American woman through the male gaze. It was also an Asian-American man through a white male gaze, because when Gemma is cross dressing as a man, they make sure that she has an ill-fitting suit, this mm-hmm. awful bowl cut that all five-year-old Asian children get at one <laughs> point. Um, and it's just very, very clear what the director, what Jake wants. And um at some point, like Ken, her, her like first boyfriend, mm-hmm. like mentions this. It's like, this mm-hmm. is like you you knew what you were signing up for. Like, what did you expect? Right. Yeah. And right. yeah, like I really like that she is conscious of it because that's the truth. All of us are conscious of it and we are constantly uh, negotiating with ourselves like when do we pick our battles when do we stand up and when is it worth it and um, as an 18 year old up-and-coming actress you know there's really not that many options right? and I like the fact that um, she does have support for when she do want to stand up when she do want to when she does mm-hmm. uh want to break these stereotypes right. and that's through Eileen who yeah. is um the veteran Asian American actress mm-hmm. who has turned co-director and we were talking a little bit about um your di- uh, we need diverse books mentor and how you guys talked about representation and really helped you um, hone your craft Um, So I'm curious, like, did you base Eileen and Gemma's relationship on your you and your mentor's relationship? Or was it crafted from something else
2: entirely? I love that question. Um, and it's funny, because it wasn't until my book launch event on December third, which is when I was talking about the book for the first time. And, um, and I was answering questions that I put it together that I think Gemma and Eileen's relationship was based on my own. We need diverse books mentorship. Um, But I hadn't realized that until that moment. So I, so yes, absolutely. (laughs) But I didn't know it. Um, I thought I was, I mean, in my head Eileen den was a was a combination of um, women Asian women in Hollywood I admire um, Michelle ya Adele Lim um, Lulu Wong these are all amazing um, actress screenwriter um, director that I admire so she was kind of a just a conglomerate of those um women but in re- reality it was my mentor from we need diverse books as well
1: yeah it's like really nice to see um like female friendships and like mm-hmm. older and younger relationships right. and I think we've definitely seen that in um, Asian American cinema. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like that torch has been passed down, saying you have, like, this isn't just your career, it's the career of everybody else who comes after you. Right. And you've seen it with, like, Michelle Yeh, like, passing that on to Constance Wu, like, in Crazy Rich Asians, and just how many doors get open with each generation. So I Mm -hmm. really like that there was a really strong relationship uh, between two Asian women and
2: it wasn't like competitive or anything (laughs) else. Yes. Well, that's the thing is I wanted to combat this, um, like the memoirs of a geisha story where it's just all competitive and backstabbing among Asian women. Um, And it just felt, um, I mean, that was written by a white author, of course. And, um, and, it was necessary to have those stories of Asian American women having each other's backs and supporting each other. Um, and that's been my experience. And I feel that it is an experience that is um, one I wanted to have in the book. Can I just make one comment about the bowl cut? Um, oh yeah. yeah sure. up? <laughs> because I, because <laughs> I love what you said, like every five-year-old gets that Asian bowl cut. I have a very crystal clear memory um, down to the bowl, it was white and it has red trim of it being placed on my head and having my mother literally <laughs> cut around it. My mother swears that never happened. She swears she never gave me a bowl cut um, with a literal bowl. But I don't know where that memory comes from.
0: You know, I think this is a shared, another shared, I don't know if it's trauma or anxiety amongst Asian Americans, <laughs> but our parents... <laughs> tend to have very selective memory
2: oh yeah it's like selective amnesia (laughs) i that's so funny but because my memory was so young i'm starting to doubt it even though it's so clear no (laughs) don't be gaslit (laughs) but it It happens it happens to most asian kids It wouldn't be the first time that, um, as you say, selective memory has occurred.
0: They're probably banking on you doubting your own memory. Saying,
2: they are. <laughs> no, I think they believe it. I think she believes it. I think she really has convinced herself it never happened.
1: It's because uh, they keep telling themselves, like, it's not right. true. It's not true. Right. They have to first <laughs> lie to themselves in order to lie to their children.
2: Right. Um, I, oh, I'm sorry. I just wanted to say one more thing, in fairness. Um, Because you had asked what my parents thought about my writing career. And I never answered that question, I realized. Um, They were adamant that I have an education. If I had ever said I was going to take a gap year, like Gemma did, to pursue my writing career, they would have flipped. But they um, never pushed me into a specific career. They um, were supportive of whatever career. I did. So they were completely supportive of my writing. That
1: that really is a blessing. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, Speaking of, um, we were talking a little bit about like friendship and strong bonds between Asian American women. And I think I would be remiss to mention Alyssa Chow, which is, uh, she's a main character. And mm-hmm. I thought it was really interesting how Gemma lands in Beijing. And then she learns that she looks exactly like this a uh, social media star in Ooh. like who has like millions of followers and who's like pretty much like a Kardashian in, <laughs> in China. Um, what made you decide to have like a doppelganger for uh, Gemma?
2: I've always been fascinated by those mistaken identity um, tropes. And I, th- and I was especially interested in it because you probably know um Asian women get mistaken all the time for other <laughs> Asian women. I have I have a dear colleague, um, and dear friend, who looks nothing like me. But um, but I am, a mis- I am mistaken for her all the time. In fact, I think I have benefited from that because I have gotten credit for things that she has done. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but that will backfire sometimes. She, I probably shouldn't be saying this, but I will anyway. Um, so I had um, gotten a um, a sabbatical, which at my college, um, you have to apply for. So it's a big deal. And then um, my friend and colleague got the sabbatical the following year. Um, when they went to put it up on the website, um, she... She was, um, her name was put in place of mine, and I just sort of disappeared. Oh, from God. <laughs> and th- but that's not even the funny thing. The funny thing is that we sent multiple emails about it, and it was things like, oh, we'll, we'll put that in the queue to change. And it, it, it took <laughs> years. It took um, our dean, who is um, a white man and just lovely person, to throw up her his hands and say, this is ridiculous. And he wrote an email and got it changed. So um, oh, back to your question. I'm sorry. I um so I thought it would be funny if what if she really was mistaken for someone, but someone who actually looked like her, someone who looked um exactly like Gemma. And that was the secret. I mean it's
1: I thought that was like really it it was a really interesting premise because her parents have not said anything about her family. And here she goes to Beijing and like, you know, she's mistaken for this like rich socialite, uh, social media influencer. And it's like, wow, everything, everything that you have possibly imagined about your magical homecoming to the motherland (laughs) has just been like shattered. Like, you know, nothing. I, I thought that was just like a fun twist and fun surprise um and um since speaking of Alyssa, Mm -hmm. i don't want to spoil anything but there is um there i really did like the lgbtq Mm -hmm. um themes and elements Mm -hmm. in your book um there's a point where eric who is the main love interest for gemma uh he says that he's met americans who think China is a country stuck in the past where they never left a Cultural Revolution right. and they believe that like they're like super strict on on queerness and mm-hmm. you can go to jail and like all of that but he says that there is a very clear difference between China's political stance versus what actual Chinese people think and practice And right. we see this in um, like when she goes to a club and she sees like a cross-dressing, uh, boy band um, mm-hmm. this is stuff that was new to me as as a reader mm-hmm. um was was like that was that information something that you already knew before
2: going into yes. the book yes um i've always been really frustrated with this idea that there is this um i think as i said before this innate traditional um Chinese culture that is uh, that's restrictive and not progressive around sexuality or sexual orientation or gender. When, um, when we talk about traditional, I think about, well, what if we keep going back? And this is, I think, when it will get interesting to look at um, the Tang dynasty, when Wu Zetian ruled. And, um, but if we go back far enough, um, before Confucius, we can see that a lot of our ideas about um, sexual identity and, um, and gender are social constructions and that people's lived lives were much more fluid and um, much more complicated. So that traditional um, Chinese culture in many ways was matriarchal. It, um, it had room for this sexual fluidity. So when we say, oh, Chinese culture is so traditional, I always want to ask, what tradition do you mean? Because China has mul- a multitude of traditions, just like any culture in any country
1: does anything you wanted to add Marvin sorry I just realized that I've been taking over the oh no no no! I, so. I've been
0: very fascinated by the discussion um <laughs> um but yeah um thank you so much for writing this book um I think we're we're, we're about at our yeah. time for this interview Reba, do you have mm-hmm. any final questions for Diana
1: um, I, I have a final comment. Um, you you said that you were worried about like getting things right, and I think this is something that all authors of like mi- minority and marginalized background they they worry about. But I just want to say, like, I think you did a really good job with uh, portraying like what current Chinese people are like <laughs> in China, um, and. Just, like, the small details with, like, Weibo and, like, Google not working and (laughs) using, like, VPN. Like, those are tiny details that I don't think non-Asians or even, like, non-Chinese authors would have gotten uh, just right. So I think you did a good job with that. Oh, thank you so much.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, the book is heirs, apparently. It's available at booksellers everywhere now. So go get it for yourself or get it for someone for Christmas. It's a perfect time to buy a book Diana, thank you so much for joining us on Books and Bulba. It was really great speaking with you.
2: Thank you so much to both of you for inviting me. I had a great time.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, good luck on the... Are you still on book tour right now? Are you still doing book events?
2: I, I am like, through the magic of Zoom.
0: <laughs> well, good luck on the rest of your augmented book tour. <laughs> and we, we're looking forward to that dystopian manuscript. Thank you. Thanks. And that was our author interview with Diana Ma. You can find her debut novel, Eris Apparently, at bookstores everywhere. And a big thank you once again to Diana for chatting with us on Books and Boba. Just a few housekeeping items before we call it an episode. Uh, don't forget you can support Books and Boba by purchasing books by Asian and Asian American authors at our bookshop store by going to the website bookshop.org slash books and boba. Um, Rera has compiled a ton of lists Uh, featuring books by Asian authors in a variety of genres. So if you're looking for something to read during the holidays or looking to buy books as gifts, um, please check it out and help support the podcast. Don't forget our December 2020 book club pick, is the YA rom-com When Dimple Met Rishi by Sanya Menon. We'll be discussing that book at the end of the month. And if you have any discussion points you'd like to bring up, um, please let us know on our Goodreads group. Um, we always love to hear from our members. And we definitely try to incorporate a lot of your feedback on our episodes. So yeah, that's another episode of Book and Boba. Uh, join us next time for our December mid-month news roundup. But until then, um, happy holidays. Uh, stay safe and we'll see you next time. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening to Books and Boba. This podcast was hosted by Marvin Yue and Ri Yu and edited and produced by Marvin Yue. Follow the book club on Twitter and Instagram by going to at Booksandboba and engage with us on Goodreads on our Goodreads group. You can also check out past episodes of the podcast by going to Booksandboba.com and by subscribing to us on your favorite podcast app. Don't forget, you can support Books and Boba and Asian American authors by purchasing books at our bookshop.org account. Check out the link in our show notes and also at Booksandboba.com.